Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton's death toll rises to 10, and we had another virtual town hall last night. We'll chat with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger about that. If you're a small business owner in Hamilton, the city, along with the Chambers of Commerce and the BIAs, are launching a digital survey to look at how COVID-19 is affecting your community and your business. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says we're still dealing with the first wave of COVID-19, and he's not ready to reopen the economy. We'll talk about the implications of that. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday uh, evening, of course, uh, the City Hall had another virtual town hall meeting with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger um, and, of course, Elizabeth Richardson, the uh, Medical Officer of Health, and uh, Paul Johnson, who was the Director of Hamilton's Emergency Operations Center. And uh, th- we've got a long way to go. That seemed to be the essence of, of the message from all three of them yesterday. But uh, Paul Johnson did uh, offer us a glimmer of hope. I would say the biggest question on our plate right now is what is the evidence in terms of how best do you start to uh, to open some things up? And I know that much of that will be happening at the provincial level in terms of some of the business side of it. But we've got to think about it in terms of city services as well. Uh, well, let's delve into that if we could then. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Mr. Mayor, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Uh, had a little glitch there somehow, but thanks. We're good now. Everybody can hear everybody. Yeah. That's good. All right. Yeah. Uh, we, it, interesting points that came out of the meeting uh, and, and the town hall uh, that was heard, of course, here on CHML and watched on Cable 14 by lots of people, I'm sure, yesterday, Mr. Mayor. Uh, one of them was uh, an interesting statistic from uh, Dr. Richardson, and it's about the doubling of the number of reported cases. Now, when I had the, the Dr. Richardson on the program, I guess it was about a week ago, uh, they said it was doubling every five days, and that was not great, but it was better than it was. It's uh, now significantly better than that, and that's a, that's a glimmer of hope for us, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it doesn't uh, doesn't cause us to, to, to let off from what we're doing because, uh, you know, day-to-day or week-to-week, uh, you know, statistics can change. But, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, so far the, uh, the doubling is slowing down, and that's, that's a positive step for sure. Uh, I wouldn't want to give the impression in the broader community that that's that's a reason to stop doing what we're doing because it uh, it can certainly cycle the other way if we don't continue to uh, stay apart and stay isolated as much as humanly possible. So, yeah, we have to find rays of hope in here somehow, and uh, you know we're all we're all hoping that this ends uh, you know uh, you know sooner rather than later. But the reality is the virus has its own uh, agenda. And uh, it, it, it lives and breathes, uh, you know, on people and on surfaces. And as, lo- as long as that is uh, continuing and we don't have a vaccine, uh, there's going to be a continuing effort. Even if we open up the economy at some point, there, there will have to be, a, you know, a pretty rigid uh, testing regime and a pretty stringent uh, approach in terms of how people still socially distance themselves, maybe not having to isolate to the degree that we can so, uh, so when we come out of this, it's going to be a different paradigm as well. But, uh, you know, we can all be hopeful that uh, sooner rather than later that we'll come to some semblance of normalcy, that people can uh, maybe open up a shop or get back to work and, uh, and maybe have different practices that might uh, allow them to, you know, get back into uh, some semblance of a reasonable economy as well. 
Well, I, and I guess the takeaway from this is it's it's good to know that the, the rate of growth of, of the of the virus is slowing down here in the Hamilton area, yep. but it's still growing. I mean, I mean, we have not really flattened the curve out now. We're starting to see a bit of a decline in this, but it's still with us and it's still growing. Uh, so I, I hear the same thing as you did, and I'm seeing some comments already on social media over the last 48 hours or so saying, "Well, it's time to you know ease up just a little bit here because we seem to be getting this under control." Uh, I, I think we'd be naive to take that that kind of a conclusion at this point yeah we can uh, if we do that we can probably see those numbers uh, spike again so uh, so there, there's still an anticipated uh, you know surge uh, you know the, the whole the whole idea about flattening the curve is to spread out the uh, number of people that get sick so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system that's really the, the objective right now uh, I think there's a belief that these cases are coming uh, that's why their their preparations are being made for additional hospital space and uh, uh, accommodations in uh, in hotels and uh, other locations so that they, they can free up beds because they're they're anticipating that there are going to be more cases that need hospitalization and so we're not we're not out of the woods by any means but uh, you know we uh, we we dote on you know a, a, a any statistic that shows shows a, a a more positive trend but a more positive trend doesn't doesn't mean that it stays that way if we ease up on what we're doing right now because it could easily go go quite the other way around and we can start uh, tripling the cases that we have if uh, if we start opening up this isolation uh, you know work that we're doing right now. So this is not the time to do that. Uh, it's time to uh, stay with the programs, stay stay with uh, you know staying close to home, stay home as much as possible, continue to wash your hands, all the things that the public health has been telling us to do. Uh, I would say, you know, realistically, we're we're into that for the next month. I think that's why the premier. Has, uh, has indicated that uh, schools, that the emergency is going to continue until May the 4th. I mean, they've been extending this, uh, you know, on a two-week basis now. Now we're into a one-month basis, and, uh, and then it may even be longer than that. So let's, let's anticipate, uh, let's, let's plan for the worst and hope for the best. I think that's, that's ultimately where we need to be. And, and the, and the worst-case scenario is if this, this case gets out of hand and overwhelms our health care system, and then we're going to have, you know, an Italy scenario where, where we, we don't have the personal protection equipment, we don't have the number, the number of ventilators that are going to keep people alive, and, and, and very difficult choices have to be made. So far, that isn't happening. We're holding our own, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not far removed from being possible. We're going to have to make some assumptions. We had uh, Manny Figueroa, of course, the Director of Education for the Hamilton Board of Education on the program the other day, Mr. Mayor. I don't know if you were able to hear that. Uh, you've been pretty busy the last couple of days. But uh, Manny told us that, uh, again, to your point about, you know, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best, uh, they're working on the assumption that the school's not going to go back in this year until, the, you know, between now and the end of June. Now, it might change. But he says probably not. So let's prepare for that scenario, and that's what they're doing. And I guess the city pretty much takes the same mindset uh, when it comes to the, the opening up of facilities or parks or everything else that some people are asking for now. Uh, clearly, we have. I mean, I, I you know we're we're obviously being guided by by the provinces and the, and the national public uh, health recommendations, and uh, and we're we're adhering to that. But uh, you know, in the foreseeable future, I don't see a major change in terms of how we. Uh, provide uh, access to spaces. Uh, I think the lockdown is going to continue, uh, certainly certainly through the month of May, uh, very possibly uh, well into June. And, you know, as much as I'd like to be the bearer of good news, uh, I, I also think we have to be realistic about this. This virus uh, doesn't disappear uh, because we've set a date. Uh, the virus decides when, uh, when all of this uh, needs to be uh, opened up or uh, relaxed. Uh, I, I think the school boards, for all intents and purposes, the online 
schooling, I understand, is working pretty well. And so, uh, you know, why, why for, the, for the sake of a month, quite frankly, and we all know that, uh, you know, the tail end of June is, uh, is kind of nowhere's land for schools. They, they kind of fill in the space and get all the marking done. And uh, so, so for a couple of weeks to open up a school and then go right back to, uh, to closure again really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I fully understand what the school board is. The, the time and expense to be able to do that uh, far, far uh, outweighs the benefits of uh, any any kind of uh, congregating that would actually then potentially continue to have a, a virus spread. And, and again, the virus is still going to be here. So it's not like we can we can you know walk into these spaces and and think that that we're we're in a virus free world. There is no vaccine at this point in time. So there's, there's you know the spread can be slow down it can be uh, minimized uh, uh, you know everything that I read is it can't be stopped until such time as a vaccine is available and that is uh, you know in conservative estimates uh, a year away and, and if they can do it sooner God bless them let's 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 have it happen yesterday but these things that uh, take time and uh, it will get done uh, it's just a matter of when and, and I think our lives are going to be different until that that circumstance actually takes place, until that vaccine is uh, is created, tested, effective, and 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 widely available, so that we can all get immunized from this uh, this, this uh, sad virus. The other the other aspect of it is that that it, it's true that those that have been affected by it are believed to be, uh, you know, immune or have some immunology towards this uh, this virus and. Presumptively, probably a lot more people have had this virus unwittingly, uh, might have had minor symptoms uh, and, uh, and, and got through it okay. Other people are more dramatically impacted by it, which is one of the anomalies about this virus that I understand is that it, it affects mm-hmm. people differently. Some people barely have any symptoms, but they, may, they, they have it. And other people, uh, you know, it brings them to their knees and, and to death's door. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal piece of, you know, God's creation that uh, that uh, is really really wreaking havoc in terms of level of understanding and you know every day I think the scientists are learning more about how this this virus reacts. The reality is that uh, for the next foreseeable future, this virus is going to be among us, and we're going to have to take that into account no matter what we do. Uh, we're inundated with information, of course, almost daily now from some of the uh, the specialists and experts in the field. I was watching an interview yesterday on Global News uh, with a, an infectious disease specialist from Toronto, uh, and they asked him pointedly, they said, you know, because we haven't hit that, that surge that we're talking about, which is not to say it's not going to happen, but uh, they asked this doctor, uh, you know, is, is physical distancing and, and the closing of, 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 of public spaces a factor? And he says it's the factor. It's what's actually keeping us down from the numbers that were projected. So, I, and as he suggested, if we start saying, okay, forget about that now, you guys can do whatever you want, uh, you're going to see that spike and you're going to see hospitals overcrowded. So we, we've got to be smart about how we're going to do this. Yeah, and, and you know, and if if we infect that many more people, I mean, you know, if, if half the population is affected by this virus, and and you know, thousands or millions of people die, then you know, the value of having an economy is uh, is, is hardly uh, hardly worthwhile. Quite frankly, that the damage of that is going to be much much more significant than the scenario that we're living in right now, which is the the, the federal government stepping up, providing resources, uh, keeping the economy as buoyant as as we can until such time as we can get back to you know, getting uh, getting things opened up again in a reasonable way. So these investments uh, that are happening right now are critically important. 
Uh, in the absence of that, uh, you know, I think I think we'd be in real trouble. So the, the, the federal and provincial governments are stepping up in a big way, as they should. Uh, municipalities are doing what they need to be doing, although we don't have the deep pockets that our federal provincial partners have. We all we're also taking steps to help people get through this crisis. And and you know the uh, the economy over over you know some some uh, in the United States and others have made this equation that well you know what we have to do a balance between uh, how many people uh, get the virus and and how we restore our economy. Well, I don't think so. I think uh, right now the prime Prime priority right now is do what we can on the economy, not open it up, and uh, and save lives as much as humanly possible so that uh, when the economy comes back, everybody can get back to some measure of prosperity. I'm not prepared to sacrifice any lives for uh, for the economy. I think uh, the economy will look after itself. It'll uh, it's getting enough uh, resources right now, even though it's difficult for a lot of people. A lot of businesses are shuttered. They're worried about their futures. Uh, they're fully understandable. Uh, the government's doing everything it can to provide enough resources to maintain some buoyancy in the economy. Uh, as long as we continue to do that and stay isolated, then we can keep this virus at bay. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, when the vaccine is, is arriving or has arrived, then uh, we're, we'll have a, a lot more freedom and confidence to get back to some measure of uh, the life that we uh, we all enjoy, which is uh, going to the concerts and the great hockey games and, you know, the football and the soccer and every every outdoor activity and hanging out at the gym. We all want to do that. Uh, it's many, many months away before we get to do that. And so I think we need to start accepting that. And if it if it happens sooner, all the better. But I, in my mind and in the minds of our city, I think we should start planning for, you know, many more months of uh, difficult challenges around staying isolated. And that's going to be particularly hard in the summertime. You know, everybody wants to be out. Uh, you know, everybody wants to do the beach. They want to go camping. Uh, they take their vacations. Uh, this is probably not going to be the year that a lot of that activity is going to happen in groups. Uh, everybody has a backyard and everybody has a barbecue or a you know, patio or, you know, a backyard uh, green space in their apartment building. I imagine they're still going to be utilized and the local neighborhoods are going to be pretty active in terms of people enjoying their locale. But uh, this whole notion that we can all head over to Port Dover to go for a, go to the beach or head for the restaurant or, uh, you know, all the things that we love to do, I think we're many, many months away from that. Mr. Mayor, we're just about out of time, but I do want to touch on uh, the virtual council meeting you had uh, this week mm-hmm. where you got some news from the finance department from Mike Zagarek, the, uh, the finance uh, chief. Uh, yeah. You talked to us a couple of weeks ago about some of the, the numbers and some of the, the, the revenue losses that are anticipating. Uh, Mr. Zagarek classified it as depression numbers, not recession numbers. Uh, and, and Hamilton's not alone. I mean, every city in, in the country, in, in North America, I guess, is going through this right now. But have you had any discussion at all with the federal and provincial governments? I know they've given you some money already, but you're still about $23 million in the hole, we're told. Uh, is there going to be relief there? Uh, so, so municipalities haven't re- received much from the federal government directly. Uh, we've we've received some supports from the provincial government. Uh, the conversation is is active and live. I, I can tell you that uh, we we meet uh, and discuss through conference calls with the deputy prime minister and the minister McKenna, minister of infrastructure, looking at you know future stimulus opportunities. Uh, and uh, Minister Morneau, Minister of Finance, through FCM and the big city mayors. So we're uh, actually dialed into a call, uh, you know, in the next day or so, uh, you know, all big city mayors and the uh, the ministers. 
having that conver- very conversation about what are the impacts financially in municipalities across the country. Now we're, we're talking about 21 bigger municipalities, but it's reflective of what's happening in all municipalities right across the country, right across the, the world, quite frankly. Uh, and uh, and they're getting an understanding of the impacts. And, uh, and, and you know, I have a firm belief that uh, at, the, at the appropriate time, uh, given that right now we're all focused on pandemic and putting out the resources we need to do to support people, support the healthcare system, support business and the economy to the best degree possible, there comes a point in time where the federal government and the provincial government are going to turn their minds to stabilizing municipalities as well, because if they don't, then uh, all of this good effort of uh, keeping people flush is going to get much more challenged when, uh, you know, we have to drive up our taxes on the local level to be able to support the anywhere from 50 to $100 million of expenditures additional over our normal budget that uh, we have to expend because of this pandemic crisis. So they understand that. Uh, they, they fully appreciate. We've never heard a no from them. They just said, you know, at the right time, we'll have that conversation. We'll sort it out. And so I have uh, good confidence that they're going to come through for municipalities at the end of the day. And, you know, might be, uh, you know, might be October, November, as opposed to, uh, you know, the next few months, because the next few months they're really focused on, as they should be, on individuals, mm-hmm. on uh, small businesses, on our healthcare system, making sure we get all the PPEs that we need. All of those are these significant priorities right now. But the municipal good. shortfalls is going to be an issue right across the country. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Mr. Mayor, we'll stay in touch. Uh, stay well, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for this today. You as well, Will. Thank you very much. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Small business uh, is obviously being impacted by this. Who hasn't been impacted by this over the last couple of weeks? And uh, small business has always had a great relationship with Hamilton's Economic Development Department. And uh, to that end, uh, well, the city, alongside with the Chambers of Commerce and uh, the BIAs around here, are launching a digital survey to see how we can work together to try to keep businesses afloat and to try to address some of their needs. Norm Schlehan is the Director for Economic Development for the City of Hamilton, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Norm, good morning. How are you doing today? Not too bad, Bill. How are you this morning? Good, good. Good to have you with us today. Uh, interesting initiative, and maybe by way of uh, uh, background, we should uh, let our listeners know about the relationship with economic development. You've been in the, uh, the department for the city of Hamilton here for many, many years and uh, have seen the way this relationship has grown between small businesses and the economic development department. Absolutely. Small, small businesses uh, makes up a huge part of our economy, Bill. You know, anywhere from 90 to 95%, depending on how you quantify a small business, of our of our community is made up of small business, so uh, it, it definitely is a large uh, large component of what we do. We have a Hamilton Business Center on the main floor of City Hall that deals with uh, small business on a, on a day to day basis, and we have many programs and initiatives uh, that operate out of there, as well as within the other sectors in our economy. Because uh, just because it's a small business just isn't a mom and pop shop uh, or a retail outlet on the street, it can be a high tech business as well. So, um, small business is certainly fueling our economy here in Hamilton. Now, you and I have talked about this, and as we have with other folks uh, in the Economic Development Department, and the mandate, uh, in the overall mandate, of course, of economic development is to obviously to attract new business, but also to retain uh, the businesses that are here in this community. And I would imagine right at this time, Norm, that's got to be what the focus is right now, is to try to hang on to the, some of these businesses and to try to help them out. 
So, so you're absolutely right, Bill. I mean, a, a lot of times you see, you know, pictures of ribbon cuttings, new businesses coming into the community, but uh, about 80, if not 90% of the work that our, our department and our division, our department of the economic development division does on a daily basis is with respect to, to business retention. And when it comes to uh, any document that I've read about uh, combating COVID issues and, and whatnot from a business retention, you know, uh, from an economic development function, it's business retention on steroids right now. Um, that we, we need to basically do what we can to keep the companies that we have here afloat and provide them with the information that they require, uh, so they can they can stay functioning. And well, and there's for, and Bill, that go ahead. That goes go for ahead. all businesses, not just the small ones as well. Sure. So I just I just, just want to quantify that. Yeah, and we we've heard almost on a daily basis now uh, some some uh, promises made by by the prime minister and by the premier, <coughs> excuse me, as other premiers have done in other parts of the country. Uh, to try to assist business in this, but uh, uh, at the grassroots level, at the local level, it's the municipalities that have to work with this. And uh, and I know that uh, you're going to be working with the chambers of commerce, as uh, the areas of chambers of commerce, which is always a great uh, uh, partnership. Uh, but you've also got a special relationship with uh, the BIAs around the city. Absolutely. So uh, as part of our uh, function within our uh, economic development division, uh, we have um, our commercial districts and small business section. That uh, deals with um, you know our, our downtowns uh, uh, as well as uh, the 13 BIAs across the city. Uh, since the outset of the the COVID crisis, uh, we've been meeting with the uh, BIAs on a weekly basis um, and, and getting their feedback on, on initiatives. And, and obviously, uh, the BIAs have been impacted from uh, the on the street street uh, piece, especially with the uh, social distancing measures that have put in and, and the uh, closure of uh, a lot of their a lot of their businesses. So we, we need to get their feedback, provide them with the information that they, they require on a, on a regular basis. So that's being done on, on like I say, a weekly basis. Uh, they've had input into the uh, questions that have been put into this survey, uh, as well as our, with our partners from the uh, all three chambers in Flamborough, Stony Creek, and Hamilton, and uh, as well as Workforce Planning Hamilton. What are you hearing from them, Norm? What's, what's such a, I guess it varies from business to business. I mean, some businesses have been told to close down, uh, and that's obviously going to have an impact on their bottom line. Uh, others uh, that may still be open, but uh, there are not too many people on the streets these days. So uh, how, how are they trying to, to, to bridge this gap? How are they trying to survive, really? So, I mean, they're trying to get creative, and one of the first initiatives that we had uh, working um, on coming out of the box was basically we have to figure out a way how can we get these companies or these businesses that are on the street uh, um, to to a digital platform? And I, I think you've probably heard, or, or I'm not sure if you've interviewed the folks uh, with respect to Hometown Hub, which is basically the the online uh, online marketplace for for companies mm-hmm. that are that that require uh, uh, an online presence. If they didn't have one, it's basically a collaborative site where you know everyone can go on. Uh, if they don't have an online presence, uh, they can establish one. And if they need to get uh, a digital online. Uh, uh, payment system that can be created as well. So that was an initiative uh, trying to bridge that gap from there. Uh, we've had over 300 businesses that have uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, shown up on that site already, and those numbers continue to climb. So, so we're, we're trying to work with uh, you get your creative in that in that way uh, in terms of getting those on the street businesses uh, 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 online because uh, we're going to figure different ways of doing business right now as as this pandemic continues and as the the uh, uh, list of essential. Uh, and non-essential businesses um, remain 
remain closed. See, really, what you're, yeah, what you're describing here, Norm, is, is really one of the big assets of the Economic Development Department is, uh, especially for small business who may not have the, the wherewithal or the budgets to be able to hire consultants or things of this nature to say, well, how can I approach this? What should I do there? Uh, you guys are there. I mean, you, as you mentioned, you've got the center right in City Hall. Uh, but you're only a phone call away or an email away from somebody who says, look, I'm having a problem. Any any advice? That's basically one of the things you guys do. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I would stress that uh, even though City Hall is physically closed right now, all our staff are currently operating. Uh, if there's a small business uh, that has a, a question that they want to have answered during this time, um, our, our, our Hamilton Business Centre uh, can be reached at 905-540-6400 or emailed at mail.com mail at uh, hamiltonbusinesscenter.ca uh, I, I can't stress enough that we are here to assist as we as, as we can uh, obviously we don't have all the answers but that we can certainly uh, uh, direct you in, in uh, the, the individual companies in the directions uh, to find those answers so let's talk a little bit about the survey that uh, that you're going to be doing right now uh, and the cooperation of course with the chambers of commerce and the BIAs uh, a digital survey to assess the COVID-19 pandemic's effects and I, this is really kind of a two-part thing I would think Norm Obviously, you need to deal with the here and now, first of all, but also you guys are going to be looking down the road. At some point, we are going to come out of this, and boy, there are going to be some huge challenges for business. Absolutely. And so I think you hit it on the head. This is definitely not a, a one-time uh, survey that we're, that we're doing here. This is ultimately this information that we're gathering. The survey will be a starting point or a benchmark as we uh, move forward to plan for a recovery. Um, I, I would anticipate that uh, following this survey that we're going to have many more sector-specific surveys as we move on because this survey, I want to stress, is not just for small business. All the BIAs are involved. Uh, obviously, small business is a huge part of that because they've been uh, greatly affected, but other businesses within our community are being affected as well. So so this is being sent out uh, through the chamber networks, through our own economic development networks, uh, uh, workforce planning, Hamilton networks, because we want to get a, an assessment of what's happening across the economy as a whole. Uh, because it is having impacts not just on small business, but on large business. Supply chains for the larger companies are starting to be affected. So, uh, I mean, initially, uh, it was just small business uh, that was really feeling the hard impact. But as, as this goes on, uh, there are going to be other, you know, businesses within the community that are going to start feeling those impacts as well. So, well, we and this opportunity to, to, to measure, sorry, Bill, uh, the impacts on both large and small across all sectors of the economy. Uh, and the key role that you're going to play here as, as this um, starts to unfurl uh, is that there are extraneous issues here, not just what's happening locally, obviously because of the shutdowns in some particular areas or some of the business improvement areas, but you just mentioned supply chain, uh, something that maybe the city doesn't have a whole lot of control over, but you can be a voice for those businesses uh, to federal and provincial governments that, that do have some jurisdiction there. And, and absolutely, and that's what... Uh, we hope to get out of this survey is that we understand that and the expectation is that you know that we're not going to have pots of money that we can throw at to solve all these problems because uh, you've heard on the previous calls and whatnot that budgets are going to be strained all, all across the uh, all across all, all all levels of government but uh, i think if we can basically advocate and, and basically say here here's where the most pressing needs are and if we have some information that can, comes out of the survey that can actually speak to that uh, th- that's our proof and uh, we can find out you know where those issues are and, and how we can address them how prepared are we for this? I mean, we there are some that still maintain that we didn't see this coming. I think we did, uh, and businesses need to be looking down the road for uh, the, you know the, the it, whatever the challenges are going to be. And this is a monumental challenge that we're facing. Uh, but there are staffing issues here. There, are, as you say, there's revenue generation issues here, uh, and and the head who have anticipated that this is going to get bad, maybe not as bad as it has turned out to be. 
but were they prepared for it? I mean, can they take a, a hit here and still get back up on their feet? The businesses in the community? Uh, yeah. are, are you referring to Bill? Sorry. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, I, I, I still think it's uh, too early to, to say that uh, in terms of can, it, it, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I don't know if, if uh, it depends how long it goes out, Bill. I mean, if this goes on for four or five months, uh, that's going to be a lot to come back from. Um, you know, hopefully, like the mayor said uh, on previously, that we're we're out of this uh, and come out of this gradually in the next next little while. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's a lot for anyone, any business to take and uh, to to you know not not be able to to bring in customers and, and whatnot uh, uh, over over the long term. Revenues have to be there. Well, one of the things that jumps to mind all the time when we talk about the the impact it's had, especially here in the Hamilton area, is uh, is the restaurant industry, which has grown organically in such a wonderful way over the last four or five years in this city, uh, especially through the downtown there. I mean, there are other great restaurants all over the city, but you look at what's happening on, on James Street and King William Street, among others, and of course, Hess Village has been revitalized, and we've seen an awful lot of that going on. And they've been pretty innovative, haven't they, Norm, to to try to to pivot. Uh, obviously, the takeout business has become pretty big now, but uh, you know, buying gift cards, things of this nature, uh, things that maybe they didn't spend a whole lot of, of energy on before are really, I guess, the lifeblood for them now. Absolutely. And the, and the, the restaurant, it's a great uh, that's a great point to make there, Bill, because they have been super creative. And uh, I'd like to just encourage everyone that uh, uh, our family is trying to at least support uh, one local restaurant, uh, if not two, a week in terms of, uh, uh, we just had some last night, uh, brought in something as well. So uh, they have been able to pivot, and I, I think you're seeing uh, the restaurant, the creative the creativity, not just with the restaurants, but with a lot of our manufacturers as well. Uh, there have been a lot of stories about how a lot of these uh, uh, clothing manufacturers, a uh, great example is Nico Apparel, and I'm sure you've had them on the radio yet to, to, to talk about uh, how they've pivoted from uh, making you know sporting apparel to, to masks and gowns now. So uh, mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot of creativity. Companies that are you know saying, okay, here's how we're going to survive. So. Uh, uh, I mean, if, if there's a way to, to make it happen, they're uh, they're 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 looking at every way possible to to, to to do that. Well, and those are some great news stories, and we need to hear those things. And and you know, that's showing again uh, something you already know about how these commitment uh, these businesses rather are committed to their community. Uh, you've mentioned some of them that have decided, okay, we're going to start making stuff. We're not just going to try to survive this. We're going to help to get over this. And, uh, well, we had the guys from Stitch It on the other day, too, of course, that were closed down as what they considered a non-essential business. But they've turned around and they're starting to make masks now uh, for frontline workers and, in, in, you know, in long-term care facilities and, and uh, first responders and things of this nature. And there's a lot of stories like that here in this community where those folks have decided, you know, we're not just going to sit around here and twiddle our fingers. We're going to do something about this. And those those are the heroes. Those are the great stories that we really need to hear. And I, there's more and more of those coming up just about every day, isn't there? There are, and we're really trying to highlight those, Bill, because, I mean, as, as much as we're hearing the bad news every day, there are those good news stories, those companies that are pivoting, those uh, companies that have basically have found a way to, hey, we can we can make this happen. And I should also stress, too, too Bill, that we're, we're still seeing interest from uh, companies, uh, COVID and non-COVID related, in, in investing in the city during this time as well, uh, which is which is very, uh, you, you, may, you may not expect that, but we're still getting investment inquiries uh, as, as, this, uh, as this crisis goes on, so... So expect to hear a couple of actually good news investment stories in the next little while as well. Um, it's uh, um, as, as much as things are, it, 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 it's just a very bizarre time. Uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of this happen. And on the other hand, uh, you're, you're seeing, you know, increased investment opportunities in the city of Hamilton at the same time. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very bizarre. But well, it's, it, but it's one of the things you need to, it's, it's part of the message, though. I mean, people might just think, you know, in, in your own world, and maybe 
it's it's uh, it's understandable because a lot of us are just looking at the same four walls for the last four or five weeks. But uh, business business goes on. It's it's altered, but I mean there are still businesses, there are still investments that are happening, there are still people that are looking for expansion mode. I mean because they understand that this isn't going to be forever, and there's going to be some opportunities and and all the assets and all the 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 things that you've been preaching about, Norm, for the last number of years here about why Hamilton is such a great place to invest are still there. And and these guys are looking down the road and saying, look, maybe this is the time for us to make that move so that when th- everything gets back, uh, that we're ready to, to, to ross. I mean, let's look at the track record the city's had over the last 15, 20 years when it comes to in- outside investment. And uh, you don't want to lose that momentum, certainly. No, you're, you're right. And I think you hit it the nail on the head there again, Bill, in terms of, you know, this uh the impact of this on our economy is going to be sharp. I mean, we're going to feel some impacts from employment and, and business perspective, you know, in the next couple of months, uh, but pr- pretty, pretty substantial. Uh, there's no question, not just us, but all, all municipalities across the country. Um, you know what, how long it lasts in terms of if we can keep maintaining social distancing, hopefully it, it doesn't last as, as long or as many months as we wanted to, but these investors, I think are looking for the long term and uh, uh, they're understanding we are going to get out of this. And uh, from a long-term perspective, um, people are still making investments and, and looking to to invest in the city. So uh, th- I think that's the part that we're seeing right now. Exactly. Let's uh, yeah. just as we finish up, we got a minute, a couple of minutes, I guess, left here, Norm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the survey. It's uh, it's investinhamilton.ca uh, is the is the page to go to, I guess, if they want to participate in this. Yes. So if you go to investinhamilton.ca, there's a big header at the top of the page that uh, you click and do the survey. And actually, I've got some. Uh, so the survey's been posted for 12 hours, and I've got some quick uh, updates already for you. Um, oh, yeah. 180 pe- over 180 people have already uh, started the survey. Um, and um, for those that have fully completed it, it takes about 11 minutes to complete. It's about uh, 17 questions. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of the, the, the data because I don't want to basically give out partial pieces of data. But what, what I do want to sure. uh, um, accentuate is that um, we developed this survey as well for a lot of calls to action in terms of making sure that companies – you know, uh, if, if they require more information from, from the city, whether it be on the programs that have been developed locally or federal programs or, or whatnot, uh, you know, uh, we, we can reach out and provide them with that information. And, and so far, within the first uh, first 12 hours, um, there have been 200 different calls to action within those 180 uh, uh, emails uh, that, or, pardon me, surveys that have been filled out. So, so staff, as the survey goes on, will be replying to those individuals that are looking for more, for information, whether it's information on the property assistance tax program, uh, links to the, the various websites and sources, government funding programs. Uh, so that's uh, that was another part of the survey, just to make sure that uh, our, our local companies uh, are aware of what uh, what uh, what programs uh, and what, ask, what what other pieces of information are out there for them to take advantage of during this time. Norm, is there a time frame for this? A, a, a period of time where they've got to do this, or if, like, people got a lot of time right now, and it's great to see you've got such a, a, a an uptake on this in such a short period of time. But how long is the page going to be up? Do you know yet? It, so we're it, a survey like this. We'll, we'll be pushing this for the next week and a half. Uh, so probably okay. by next Friday uh, is probably the realistic time to, to close that down. All our chamber uh, friends, the BIAs, uh, as well as Workforce Planning Hamilton, we're pushing that through their networks. Just so you'll be probably seeing some. Uh, Emails coming through uh, into inboxes over the next little while to folks that are you may if you're on a chamber member in an active mailing list you may get a couple of reminders to fill out the survey. Uh, but uh, at the end of next, by the end of next week, uh, we'll, we'll probably do close it up uh, formally, and uh, hopefully by the following Wednesday, so two weeks from yesterday, uh, we'll be able to get to bring some reports back and 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 share some of the results, and be happy to come on the show again and talk about some of the results of that survey at that time, Bill. 
Look forward to that conversation, Norm. Congratulations, uh, you and your staff, for all the great work that you guys are doing and the collaborations that are, that are ongoing to try to get us all through this. And we will talk to you and follow up on this. Thanks again, Norm. No problem. Thanks, Bill. Norm Schlean, of course, the uh, Director of Economic Development for the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, now that the numbers seem to be looking good in some parts of the country right now, but new cases of COVID-19, is it time to start easing some restrictions and to, uh, well, you... Some people are calling reopen the economy. Well, the prime minister was asked about that at his daily briefing yesterday, and he was pretty blunt. We need to continue doing what we are doing now for many more weeks. We cannot be in a rush to get things going again, because if we move too quickly to loosen all these controls, everything we're doing now might have been for nothing. We'll find ourselves in another peak just as bad as this one or worse uh, ominous mornings, and it's not the first time we've heard that, obviously, about, uh, you know, being very, very careful about just how far we want to go and then start the, the road to recovery. Is it too early, or is it about time that we started looking at trying to do something about the economy? I want to bring Ian Lee into the conversation. Ian, of course, from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University in Ottawa. Ian, good morning. How are you doing these days? I'm doing just fine, and social isolation like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my four walls here, but, I mean, it's it's yes. we're surviving, and that's the good thing. This is the balance, and obviously we're concerned about public health and, and the number of cases and the number of deaths and new cases. Uh, you know, and, and I understand the angst from some people to say, look at them, look at the economic numbers here too. Do you try to find a balance or do you just have to prioritize? I think we do have to strike a balance. We cannot, I, I just don't believe um, uh, that we can uh, credibly or realistically uh, shut down an economy for 12 to 18 months. I, I don't believe it. Uh, I think people will just rebel individually. They'll just stop leaving their homes um, and going outside. Uh, I, I, I think we're probably seeing that already uh, to some degree. Uh, I don't go out of the house very often, only for groceries. But mm-hmm. um, in the uh, last week and the week before, I was on the roads. and uh, The roads were empty. Just, I mean, just almost no cars. And then I was out yesterday because I had to get groceries. It was a nice day in Ottawa. It was sunny. And there were a lot of cars out on the road. And uh, I started thinking, you know, people are starting to go out. Whatever the reason, whatever their justification, I'm not getting into that. I'm just talking about mass behavior. And I, I don't believe that you can uh, cause uh, a large, a significant portion of 38 million people or 200, 330 million in the States to stay indoors for 12 to 18 months. I just think it's, it's not credible. It's, it's not possible. Uh, whether it ought to be, he can invoke the ought all he wants. Uh, you know, in the real world, you're dealing with people who I just don't believe will stay in for 12 to 18 months. I think even six months is very, very problematic. So that's on the practical side. But now to answer your question, I've read a ton of stuff. I don't pretend to be a doctor or an epidemiologist, but I've read a lot of studies, incredible papers like the New York Times. I don't think people would say that that's not credible uh, uh, of research. And there's some uh, excellent research coming out of Germany by leading epidemiologists at one of the leading universities saying that, look, you're not equal at risk from all situations equally. He said a large number of people in very close proximity are in much greater risk than you walking by somebody on the street. Now, that accords with my common sense, and I think most people's common sense. And so his point was he's done testing in German grocery stores, and he said, I can't find the virus there on anything. And he says, you know, you're into the store there for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, you're out. And he calls that a low-contact, low-incidence, low-risk environment. That's very different from going to a bar 
or, or a restaurant where you're sitting there for several hours in close proximity with many other people or going to a music concert or a soccer game or a football game. So you can, I think, see where I'm going. I think yeah. that they can start to reopen the economy with a large portion of retail, excluding bars and restaurants. Um, and excluding airplanes and excluding football games and baseball games and that sort of thing. But they can bring back, and, and you know, you can still maintain some social distancing measures. You can ask people to wear masks and they go to recommend it, that sort of thing. But I think they can start to bring back retail um, because most of us, the way I put it, is when I go into a retail store, I don't go there for four hours. I go in to look for to see if they have a T-shirt or a shirt, and I'm in and out in five minutes. It's a low-contact, low-risk environment. So I think they'll bring that the, that sort of uh, those businesses back much more quickly. Whereas I think the big mega events, the Blues Fest in Ottawa in July, they haven't made a final decision. But I'll be surprised if they go ahead with the Blues Fest. I think music concerts across Canada and the U.S. and U.K. and Europe are falling like ten pits, and we can understand why. Um, I think baseball, I'm skeptical that baseball will be playing this year in front of fans. Um, they're even debating whether or not the NFL, which it doesn't come back until September, the formal season, whether they'll be allowed to have fans in their stadium. So those kinds of activities where you're in close proximity to large numbers of people for a fairly long period of time, they're going to be the most at risk to coming back. But the other, uh, many of the other behaviors and activities and retail is not in that category. So I, I think they can start to bring that back. They can relax the prohibition on going inside Home Depot or Rona or Canadian Tire. Uh, they can relax the prohibition on construction. Um, uh, and, and I think we'll start to see, uh, I agree with the Bank of Canada governor. So lest anyone think I'm going way on a limb here, he said he expects to see a good chunk or parts of the economy returning by the end of May, and I'm in agreement with Governor Polas. Well, and as you say, there's got to be some balance here, but uh, there are parts of this country that that are, are seem to be handling this. I mean, it's still there. Alberta seems to be doing quite well, and and I know there's a real push there to try to get their energy sector back on their feet. So there's got to be some some allowances for the, for those sorts of things, wouldn't you think? Yes, yes, I do. I mean, they, they tried to strike this balance on emergency services, uh, properly so. Let's give the governments, all the governments credit. You can't shut down grocery stores, for goodness sake. You can't shut down pharmacies. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. Uh, I don't think you can shut down gr- uh, gr- uh, uh, gas stations because people have to drive. We're a car culture in Canada and the States because we're very, very large countries with very big dif- distances, and we have to drive around. We get around in a car, so you have to keep the gas stations open. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and then you've got to keep the supply chain uh, that supply the grocery stores and the gas stations and the pharmacies and the grocery stores going. So it's not as if everything was shut down, but it, and, and it was, didn't lead to catastrophic disaster having, uh, I don't know what chunk of the economy, a third of the economy was still functioning, roughly. And uh, we didn't see the rate of infections, quote, skyrocket. We certainly haven't seen the mortality rate skyrocket. In fact, the epidemiologists are having discussions in the journals, um, in, the, in the blogs for the journals, um, how the numbers have been consistently had to be moved down. Dr. Fauci himself yeah. said they've had to downgrade. The, in other words, the early numbers were wildly too high, and they're bringing them down, 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 down. And uh, because we realized that they, we over, uh, they over-evaluated or estimated the risk. I'm not saying there's no risk here. There is a risk. There's a risk in everything we do, as we know. You know, there's a risk to driving a car. 2,000 people a year die in automobile accidents. 
sadly. People die every year in drowning deaths in lakes and rivers and swimming pools and so forth. Um, and I'm not trying to trivialize it. I'm saying that we do recognize that there's risk in society, and we allow activities to proceed that have risky consequences or negative consequences. And then the, balance, the question is, how much risk, how many deaths are we willing to accept before we shut something down? And uh, so we allow swimming pools and lakes and, and, and wherever people go swimming, notwithstanding that 450 people a year die tragically from drowning deaths and, and automobile deaths. And we've decided as a society that the cost of those behaviors, it, the, the benefit of, the, of those activities is greater than the cost of those activities. And, and so we're going to have to strike a balance here uh, with uh, COVID-19 when, it's, when we can have, I'm not advocating everybody go back to work tomorrow morning and we just be completely normal and we're doing everything like before. As I've already said, I think there's going to be bars, restaurants are going to suffer for a long time to come, public sporting events, music events, concerts, um, flying, those, those, those sectors of the economy. Mm-hmm are going to suffer enormously and continue, I mean, for the months, in the months ahead. I think for quite a long time. Ian Lee at the Sprott School of Business. Ian, stay well. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for this today. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks. Take care. Uh, one of the related issues, of course, about that is, Ian was just mentioning, uh, is opening up the border. There was a mutual agreement between the Canadian and U.S. governments a few weeks ago, of course, to close down the border except for essential business. Donald Trump yesterday hinted that uh, he thinks it's maybe time to ease some of those restrictions. Our relationship with Canada is very good. We'll talk about that. It will be one of the early borders to be released. Canada is doing well. We're doing well. We'll see. But at some point, we'll be doing that. Well, maybe not. Uh, That seems to have met with mixed reaction, especially on this side of the border. Uh, But with this idea that uh, that he figures it's about time to get this going, there are some implications about opening that border up again. Phil Gursky is the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Phil, how are you doing today? You hanging in there? I am, Bill. Uh, We're isolating and we're doing okay. How are you? Same thing, same thing. Been at home for the last few weeks, and uh, we're getting it done, and uh, we're going to get over this eventually. Uh, what about the security risks? What about what the president is suggesting? Uh, I've heard a couple of Canadian officials commenting off the record about this over the last 24 hours or so, Phil, saying, look, it, they've got a lot more cases than us. We opened the border up. Are we, uh, uh, just as Donald Trump wanted to shut the border down to the Chinese and some European countries, uh, do we really want Americans that are going to bring the COVID virus back up here, uh, coming freely across the border? Well, is that, is that a concern? A, no, absolutely, Bill. It's a great question. I, I think we all recognize that, that President Trump um, changes his mind uh, rather often, so we have to be careful about yeah. putting too much stock into what he says one day versus the next. You're absolutely right. You know, the Americans have had, uh, you know, thousands, even proportionally, the Americans have had many more cases than we've had. They've had many more deaths than we have. And we, were, we rightfully kept the border open to commerce, because as you're well aware, our economy relies almost not entirely, but to a large extent, on the American economy, and the Americans also benefit from ours. So that was smart, to allow produce and products and manufacturing to go back mm-hmm. and forth. The reason why we cut the border to everything else was that we didn't want that cross-border traffic of individuals who were either infected, and perhaps more importantly, infected and didn't know it. They were asymptomatic. Yeah. You know, bringing, yeah. you know, Canadians bringing it to, to the Americans, and Americans bringing it to Canadians. So I would say that, yes, given that there's a disproportionate number of Americans infected and sick versus Canadians, and they're 10 times our size, by the way, I'm not sure opening the border completely at this point is a really good idea. 
I mean, like, I, this is not anti-American. I love America. I love my, you know, my American friends. But the two, two of the states with the highest number of, of deaths and the highest number of reported cases are, are just a couple of miles away from us here, Phil. That's New York and Michigan. And, and you know, do we really want to say, yeah, come across, do your shopping, do what you need to do here? I, I just, I, I'm getting the sense that it's maybe a little too early to go that far. I absolutely agree with you, Bill. And we all know the economy is suffering. And we all want to, you know, as your previous guest I was overhearing, we want to get back to as near normal as possible as soon as we can. But we have to do it judiciously. And, you know, one sector that's obviously suffered, uh, aside from cross-border shopping, and I don't do that because I'm you know, an hour from the border myself in Ottawa, but is the tourism sector. And we know that, you know, yeah. that's a huge part of the Canadian economy. And, and places are really suffering right now. And we want, like I say, we want to get back to the point where we can allow that, that economic sector to, to reopen at least partially. But... No, we're not there yet, and I, I, don't, I just don't think that there's any real need for us to be opening the border to average Canadians and Americans who are not involved in the critical economic sectors. I think we simply have to wait, and I know it's tough. I know, I, you know, look, at, I, you're probably like me, Bill. We're itching to get back to, to you know, whatever oh, yeah. was before us, but everything I'm hearing from, from real experts, real scientists, and medical professionals is it's going to take some time, and as, and as frustrating as that is, I think we have to accept that message. Phil, let me ask you something else that I, I heard about a couple of weeks ago, which is real, obviously. We've seen that. Uh, but should we be concerned and should our, our, our security officials be concerned about other threats? I mean, the, the, the obvious thing, thing that we can see here is, uh, you know, we're vulnerable right now. And, and, you know, people that want to do harm and do damage could look at that and say, this is pretty, as good a time as any to, to, to carry off or to, to try to do something. Are we cognizant of that? Absolutely. I've, I have talked to some of my friends who still work for CSIS where I used to be, and then you know, they're on the ball, and, and you know, they're, they're doing the best they can. I've also given a lot of thought to this bill over the past month or so on whether or not the terrorist threat has actually increased. I'm not so sure, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, interestingly, groups like ISIS and even the Taliban a month ago were, were saying to their people, hey, stick, stick around, stay home, because we don't want you to get sick by going abroad and doing something, which is interesting. Mm. Secondly, um, a lot of people have said that, yes, the propaganda has picked up. A lot of you know, ISIS saying this is a scourge from God and we're going to help you know, bury the West kind of thing. They've been saying that for decades. You know, propaganda yeah. is there. And, and the, the, the bottom line, Bill, is that most propaganda never results in action. There's much more talk talking than there is walking. And I think we have to bear that in mind and not panic that terrorists are going to take advantage of you know, reduced workforces, including security forces and law enforcement. And the fact that we were all kind of huddled in our homes, isolating, I don't, I don't think we're going to get there. And, and, and what I'll point to is that, you know, in, since this has happened, let's say that over the past month, there's been one terrorist attack in the West, one. And that was in France about three weeks ago by a, a Sudanese, uh, person from Sudanese origin who was, who was in France, and he went into a butcher shop and, and stabbed two people to death. We haven't seen dozens. So while the propaganda is ramping up, we have to be careful not to equate propaganda with action. So I think that, you know, obviously we're, we're standing on guard, no, no question about that, but I'm not predicting a, a new wave of terrorism by nefarious actors trying to take advantage of COVID-19 to do what they do. Of course, Moet, the, the other thing here, too, is invariably terrorists look for large crowds to be able to have an impact. You're not going to find very many of those in North America these days. It's pretty hard to take a lot of people and we're all socially isolating, you know, we're all two meters apart or whatever. And you're absolutely right. You know, we don't have people on, on subways. We don't have people in sports stadiums. We don't have people, even in grocery stores, we're retaining our distance. So, yeah, you know, again, I, I, don't, I don't have a crystal ball, Bill, and I would never rule out the possibility. But I just, I'm, I'm pushing back against this notion that because we're, we're hearing about them and reading them and saying a lot about it, that means we're going to see it transit into real action. I'm not convinced that's the case because, as I said, 
propaganda is propaganda, and I don't detect any real difference in the nature of the propaganda before and during the COVID-19 crisis. Phil Gersky, uh, President CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Phil, thanks so much for this. Uh, stay well. We'll talk again soon. You too, Bill. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.